Episode 3 The Kingdom of Portugal We left off with Afonso Henriques becoming Afonso I of Portugal. Today's episode will cover the history of Portugal during the reign of the House of Burgundy, or the Afonsine era. But before we dive in, let's examine the story of a citizen soldier turned folk hero named Geraldo, but we will call him Gerald. Around 1162, Gerald Geraldo, gathered a militia known as the Miznada and began marching around the parts of Iberia that were still under Muslim control. They would take the Muslim forces by surprise, usually at night in wintry or stormy weather, sneaking over city walls, killing sentries and lifting the gate, allowing the rest of the army to march right into the strongholds. Ibn Sahib al-Salah, an Arabic chronicler who lived around the time of Gerald's activities, wrote about the guerrilla, that's guerrilla with U-E, fighter. Quote, The dog, Gerald, marched on rainy and very dark nights, with strong wind and snow, towards cities and having prepared his wooden instruments for, of scaling walls very large so that they would surpass the walls of the city, he would apply those ladders to the side of the tower and catch the sentinel by surprise and say to him, Shout, as is your custom, in order that the people might would not hear him. When the scaling of the group had been completed on the highest wall in the city, they shouted in their language with an abominable screech, and they entered the city and fought with whom they found, and robbed them and captured all who were in the city, taking captive and prisoner all who were there. End quote. According to Arabic accounts, Gerald took Trujillo and Evora in 1165 before advancing on Cassides, Montanches, Serpa, and Junomeña in 1166. However, Spanish sources claim that the Arabic accounts were a year off, that the events happened from 1164 to 1165. To complicate things further, a Portuguese chronicle, chronicle the Crónica dos Godos, Chronicle of the Goths, dates the conquest of Évora to the year 1204 of the Spanish era, that is, 1166. Impassioned battles have been fought among scholars over the chronology of this era, but it is agreed that the last of Gerald's conquests was at Santa Cruz de la Sierra in Extremadura in modern-day Spain, occurring as late as 1169. In conquering Muslim strongholds, Gerald made enemies within the world of Islam and also within the Christian kingdoms, particularly the kingdom of Leon, Leon, under King Ferdinand II, was stirred up to anger when Gerald didn't give up the land he conquered. In fact, Gerald even gave up the land to Leon's rival, Castile. By 1166, the Leonese had enough 
and began conquering the land already taken by Gerald for Portugal. They even allied themselves with the Almohad Caliph Yusuf I to take down Gerald and to put the Portuguese back in their place. In 1169, Gerald took Badajoz, close to the modern-day border of Spain and Portugal, in Estremadura. Afonso I of Portugal, eager to bring the conquered Badajoz into his domains, led an army into the city. Ferdinand of Leon met him there. Fighting broke out in the streets of Badajoz. Realizing that he could no, that he could not fight the, off the Leonese and the Almohads, Afonso decided to flee the city. As he was about to flee to leave the city, he was caught on the hinge of a gate, flinging him off his horse and breaking his leg in the process. Ferdinand and his men captured Alfonso. To the Portuguese king's horror, Gerald was also captured by one Fernand Ruiz de Castro, called El Castellano, or the Castilian. The Leonese were in control of Badajoz and soon relinquished the city to their Muslim allies. In exchange for Alfonso's release, Ferdinand gained some territory in northern Portugal, including Lobarzana, around the city, modern city of Chavez. Ferdinand and Fernand Ruiz gained much of the territory in Estremadura, previously held by Gerald. Humili humiliated, Alfonso and Gerald returned to Portugal to recuperate. From 1171 to 1172, chaos reigned in Estremadura as Leonese, Portuguese, and Almohad forces battled it out for supremacy. Yusuf was off waging war in Valencia and Murcia. In his absence, Gerald conquered Beja in the Alentejo. He and Alfonso could not agree over whether or not they should destroy the city. Feeling betrayed, Gerald went to Seville, where he presented himself to the caliph, offering his services. Immediately, Yusuf turned, sent him to Morocco, and he became a governor of a southern part of that region. Unbeknownst to Yusuf, Gerald got back in contact with Alfonso, and the two planned a Portuguese invasion. But the invasion never came, in, never came to fruition. The correspondence was intercepted, and Gerald was arrested. Gerald met his end when the chop, on the chopping block, as he was beheaded for double-crossing the Almohads. Gerald's captured cities were reconquered and refortified by the Almohads, so that they had, so that they would not be taken by the Christians until a century later. Badajoz, for example, would remain in Muslim hands until 1226, and Trujillo would not fall to the Christians until 1234. Gerald, known as Geraldo Saint Pavor, or Gerald the Fearless, became a Portuguese legend. He even appears in the Lusiads written by the Portugal's greatest poet, Luís Vaz de Camões. The eighth canto of the, of the Lusiads reads, quote, The dauntless Gerald, in his left he bears two watchmen's heads, his right the falchion rears. The gate he opens, swift from ambush rise, his ready bands, the city falls his prize. Evera still the grateful honor pays, her bannered flag the mighty deed displays. There frowns a hero, in his left he bears the two cold heads, and the, his right the falchion rears. Quote. The city of Evera honors Gerald with a place on his coat of arms. 
The central plaza, the Plaza do Geraldo, is also named after him. His success and independence have suggested parallels with the Castilian hero El Cid, and Gerald has been called the Cid of Portugal, or the Portuguese Cid. But not without some controversy. To certain Spanish scholars, a mere guerrilla fighter has no business consorting with El Cid. Legends grew surrounding Gerald's life, some saying that he was noble-born, or that he disguised himself as a troubadour before the conquest of Evora, and entered the city himself using a ladder made of spears. Though the whereabouts of Gerald's severed head are unknown, the fame of the fearless Portuguese hero still reverberates from Evora throughout the country. Now we turn to Alfonso I. He married Mafalda, also called Matilda, or Maud, of Savoy, and built many monasteries and convents, notably Alcobasa Monastery, where the Cistercian order of monks were led by Alfonso's uncle, St. Bernard of Clairvaux. It was in 1179 that Alfonso's efforts to favor and give privileges to the Catholic Church paid off. The papal bull, Manifestus Probatum, accepted Alfonso as king of independent Portugal. Just five years later, a truce that protected Portugal from the Almohad forces ended, and the Caliph Yusuf besieged the city of Santarén. Sancho, Alfonso's second son and heir to the kingdom, was there to defend the city. Soon, the Archbishop of Compostela, and surprisingly, Fernando of Ferdinand of Leon, arrived to aid Sancho. The Almohad siege ended, and they made a hasty retreat. Caliph Yusuf was injured, some say by a crossbow bolt, and had to be carried on his deathbed back to Seville. But just a year after the siege began, on December 6, 1185, Alfonso died. He was buried in a tomb in the Santa Cruz Monastery in Coimbra. Like Gerald and others before him, Alfonso became a larger-than-life figure. There are mythical stories that it took ten men to carry his sword, and that Alfonso wanted to engage other monarchs in personal combat, but no one would dare accept his challenge. Alfonso I was succeeded by his second-born son, Sancho I. Based out of Coimbra, Sancho ended the wars of attrition between Portugal and her northern neighbors, the Galicians. He decided it was time to focus all of his attention on the Muslim taifas, or small kingdoms, to the south. With the help of some crusaders, Sancho took the city of Silves in the Algarve region of Portugal in 1188. He built a castle, which still stands today as a Portuguese heritage site, and he fortified the city. Despite this, the city was retaken by the Muslims in 1191, when Sancho had to turn his attention to the north to defend against Castile and Leon. Sancho I dedicated much of his reign to political and administrative organization of the new kingdom. He accumulated a national treasure, supported new industries and the middle class of, of merchants. Moreover, he created several new towns and villages, like Guarda in 1199, and took great care in populating remote areas in the northern Christian regions of Portugal, hence the nickname the Populator. Bikin was also known for his love of knowledge and literature. Sancho I wrote several books of poems and used the royal treasure to send Portuguese students to European universities. He died in Coimbra, aged 56.
1211, Sancho was succeeded by his second but eldest surviving son, Afonso II. He was nicknamed Afonso o Gordo, or Afonso the Fat. Unlike his father and grandfather, Afonso II wasn't too concerned with fighting with Castile or the Muslims. He left the reconquest to private noblemen, who did conquer some towns such as Alcacer, Dosal, in 1217, and Afonso II was not a weak king, however. He fought with his brothers and sisters to maintain control of the crown, eventually exiling them. He codified the first set of Portuguese written laws. He sent ambassadors to European kingdoms on, other, on the other side of the Pyrenees and began trading with them. He sought to weaken the power of the clergy and to reroute the money pouring into the Catholic Church so that it flowed into, a national, into the national treasury. This led to a serious conflict between Portugal and the Pope. Pope Honorius III even excommunicated Alfonso, who died in 1223, before he was able to make amends. Alfonso the Fat was succeeded by his son, Sancho II, or Sancho the Pious. Sancho II inherited his father's troubles by the, with the Catholic Church. He signed a treaty of ten articles with the Pope, but Sancho quickly set aside his obligations. Like his namesake and his father's namesake, Sancho was a warrior, bent on the completion of, of the Reconquista. From 1236 onwards, he conquered several cities in the Algarve and Alentejo. With all of his attention centered on military campaigns, internal disputes and designs for the, for the throne arose. The noblemen conspired to overthrow him, while the middle-class merchants and the clergy fought for supremacy, leading the Archbishop of Porto to make a formal complaint to Pope Innocent the, the, the Fourth. In, in his 1245 papal bull, Grandi non emerito, Innocent IV ordered that the people of Portugal choose a new king. Afonso, Count of Boulogne and brother of the Portuguese king, was invited by the nobles to take the throne, which he gladly did. A civil war lasted from late 1245 to mid-1247. A Castilian prince, Af Alfonso, intervened on the side of Afonso. The former retreated to, retreated to help his father in the siege of Seville, allowing Sancho II to escape to Toledo, where he died a couple months later, with no legitimate sons to contest his brother's claim to the Portuguese throne. Alfonso III was the first to use the, king, to use the title King of Portugal and the Algarve, beginning in 1249. To become such, he had to abdicate his rights to the county of Boulogne on the English Channel in modern-day France. He also divorced his wife Matilde in order to marry Beatrice of Castile, the illegitimate daughter of Alfonso, Alfonso X, King of Castile. This was the same Alfonso that helped Alfonso III in the Civil War. Alfonso's father, Ferdinand III, was the one responsible for the reconquest of not only Seville, but also Cordoba, both, both old capitals of Al-Andalus, or Muslim Spain. Ferdinand III also, reunited, re, also unified Castile and Leon, passing down the United Kingdom to his son in 1252. He would later be canonized in 1671, and he is known in Spanish as Fernando el Santo, or San Fernando Rey. Alf Alfonso III went out of his way to please the middle class of Portugal, in 1254, in Leiria, 
a city in central Portugal, Afonso held the first session of the Cortes, Cortes, a general assembly that represented the noble, nobility and the middle classes, with representatives from all municipalities in the kingdom. Laws were made to prevent the upper classes from abusing the rest of the population. Afonso founded many towns and upgraded some towns to cities. Instead of debasing coinage like his predecessors did to make money, Alfonso III taxed the mercantile classes and the church. He was naturally excommunicated, and the implementation of these new taxes may have pre pre precipitated his death. A series of wars broke out between Portugal and Castile over the ownership of the Algarve, which had been conquered by the Christians during Alfonso's reign. In 1267, the Treaty of Badajoz was signed, fixing the southern border between the two kingdoms, a border that remains until today. In 1279, Alfonso III died, and the title of king was passed to his son, Denis. Denis was known as the farmer king and the poet king. He ruled the kingdom of Portugal and the Algarves for over 46 years, and is remembered as a major contributor to the formation of a sense of national identity and an awareness of Portugal as a nation state. In 1288, Denis managed to persuade Pope Nicholas IV to issue a papal bull that separated the Order of Santiago in Portugal from that, of, from that in Castile, to which it had been subordinate. In 1289, he swore to protect the Church's interests in Portugal, and signed an agreement to do just that with Pope Nicholas IV. In 1290, he imposed judicial reforms to centralize royal power. He created the first university in Portugal at Coimbra in that same year. He also instituted Portuguese as the official language of the court and rid the military of foreign orders and influences. He set up the Bolsa de Comercio, the first documented form of marine insurance in Europe in 1293. He encouraged mine, mining of sulfur, silver, and tin and iron, and he organized the export of crops, salt, and salted fish to England, Flanders, and France. In 1308, he signed the first Portuguese commercial agreement with England. Nine years later, he hired the Genoese merchant sailor Manuel Passagna and his men as captains of the King's Galleys, founding the Portuguese Navy, which would later become very important to our next episode. In 1312, Pope Clement V declared the Knights Templar to be heretics and ordered their annihilation. Dennis gathered the surviving knights in 1319 to form the Order of Christ, a distinctly Portuguese military order. Clement's successor, John XXII, recognized this order as, and its right to inherit Templar assets and property. During Dennis's reign, Lisbon became one of the greatest city, great cities of Europe, earning its place as a center of culture and learning. Dennis himself wrote several books on everything from government administration to hunting, science, and poetry. He also had many works translated into Galician Portuguese, and an ancestor of modern Portuguese. Not only was he a patron of the arts and of troubadours, but he also was a producer of lyric poetry in the troubadour tradition. His best-known work is the Canchigas de Amigo, a collection of love songs as well as satirical songs which contributed to the development of troubadour poetry in the Iberian Peninsula. Dennis was essentially an administrator and not a warrior king. 
He went to war with the Kingdom of Castile in 1295, relinquishing the villages of Serpa and Moda. In 1297, he signed the Treaty of Alcanices with Castile, which defined the current borders between the two Iberian countries and reaffirmed Portugal's possession of the Algarve. The treaty also established an alliance of friendship and mutual defense, leading to a peace of about 40 years between the two nations. Dennis promoted development of the rural infrastructure, earning the nickname of the farmer, O Lavrador. He redistributed land, founded agricultural schools to improve farming techniques, and took a personal interest in the expansion of exports. He set up, a regular, he set up regular markets in a number of towns and regulated their activities. One of his principal achievements was to protect agricultural lands from advancing coastal sands by ordering the planting of a pine forest near Ladia, which also provided a source of raw materials for construction of a naval fleet. This forest, known as the Pinal de Ladia, Ladia Pinewood, still exists and is an important conservation area. Toward the end of Dennis's life, conflict arose between his two sons, Afonso, the legitimate heir, and Afonso Sanchez, the bastard son. Dennis preferred Afonso Sanchez over his rightful heir. Dennis's wife, Elizabeth, who would later become a saint, served as intermediary between her husband and Afonso when civil war broke out in 1322. Dennis, because he had granted many privileges to the nobles in the last years of his reign, had little popular support in the war. Afonso had the support of the common people in the cities. The war between father and son became a war between social classes. In one instance, Dennis was about to kill Afonso when Elizabeth intervened. And as legend holds, in 1323, the queen, mounted on a mule, positioned herself between the opposing armies on the, battle, on the field of the Battle of Avalaji in order to prevent the combat. Peace returned in 1324, when Afonso Sanchez was sent into exile, and the Infanchi swore loyalty to the king. Dennis died in January 1325, passing the kingdom of Portugal to his son Afonso. Dennis became very famous, even being mentioned in Dante Alighieri's Divine Comedy, written in Italy during Dennis's reign. Dennis was first called Father of His Country, Pai de Patria, by the historian Duarte Nunes de Leon in 1600, and the name stuck. Afonso IV's reign was marked with conflict with Castile. His daughter, Maria, was married to Alfonso XI of Castile, but the Castilian king publicly humiliated Maria by taking a mistress. Afonso had his son, Peter, Mary of Castilian princess Constanza, who was Alfonso the, the, ninth, the, the eleventh's wife before he married Maria. The bad blood between the two kingdoms boiled over into a four-year war, ending in 1339. Afonso IV and Alfonso the the eleventh, sorry, put their differences aside to defeat the Muslims at the Battle of Rio Salado in 1340. The later years of Alfonso IV's reign were met with intrigue, as part, in part because Castile fell into a civil war. Peter, Alfonso's son and heir, lost his wife Constanza 
when she died after giving birth to their third son. Peter then insisted on marrying Inez, Inez, one of Constanza's ladies-in-waiting, who had links to both the Portuguese and Castilian thrones. Peter's son and heir, Ferdinand, was very sickly. Ferdinand was Constanza's son. Meanwhile, Inez's son, sons thrived. Afonso watched in horror as he saw himself losing control of his court and his successors. He feared Castile was gaining too much influence in Portugal. So, he imprisoned Inez, Inez in a convent in Coimbra. In 1355, he ordered her, mur her murder. Upon learning that his lover was decapitated in front of their young child, Peter rebelled against his father. He raised an army and devastated the country between the Douro and Minho rivers. Early in 1357, Peter reconciled with his father, who died in the following May. Alfonso IV is known for supporting the Portuguese navy as well as for keeping the peace. He ordered the first Portuguese maritime explorations, establishing the foundation of the Portuguese Empire. His conflict with Peter, as well as these explorations, were featured in the Lusiads of Camões. Peter I of Portugal succeeded his father in 1357. He was called Peter the Just, as well as Peter the Cruel. He is sometimes confused with his nephew, Peter of Castile. During Peter I's reign, he saw the dispensing of justice upon Inez's assassins. He had them extradited from Castile with help from his nephew, and had them brought before him so that he could rip their hearts out with his own hands, because of what they had done to his own heart. At least according to Fernão Lopes, a Portuguese historian born sometime between 1380 and 1390. According to legend, Peter later had Inez's body exhumed and placed upon a throne, dressed in rich robes and jewels, and required all of his vassals to kiss the hand of the deceased queen. However, contemporary evidence that the, that the event occurred is minimal. Peter did have Inez's body removed from her resting place in Coimbra and taken to Alcosaba, Alcobasa, where it was reburied in the royal monastery. Peter had two tombs constructed, one for each of them, so that they would see each other when rising at the Last Judgment. And the tombs show Peter and Inez facing each other, with the words, Até o fim do mundo, until the end of the world, inscribed on the marble. Peter was put to rest in the tomb he had built for himself when he died in 1367, having reigned for ten years. His son, Ferdinand, succeeded him. Once known as Peter's sickly son, Ferdinand I was sometimes called Ferdinand the Handsome or Ferdinand the Inconstant. Ferdinand was actually a descendant of Sancho IV of Castile and thus had a claim to the Castilian throne. In 1369, he succeeded in taking the throne despite competition from the kings of Aragon and Navarre, and also from John of Gaunt, Duke of Lancaster in England, who was married to a Castilian princess. But Ferdinand's claim was contested by Henry, his second cousin. Ultimately, after some fighting, all parties were ready to accept the mediation of Pope Gregory XI. In 1371, a treaty was ratified that allowed Ferdinand to marry Leonora, of Castile, but before the wedding, Ferdinand fell helplessly in love with Leonor Telles de Menezes, the wife of one of his own courtiers. Ferdinand married her instead. As a result, Henry became Henry II of Castile, 
despite a conspiracy between Ferdinand and John of Gaunt to prevent him. Henry died in 1379, and the throne was passed to John I. It was claimed by the Duke of Lancaster, who was supported by Ferdinand. But the alliance did not last, and Ferdinand withdrew his support, making a peace at Badajoz in 1382, stipulating that his daughter, Beatriz, who would inherit the Portuguese throne, be wed to John, King John I of Castile, unifying the two crowns. When Ferdinand died on October 22, 1383, he left no male heir, only Beatriz. Thus, the direct Burgundian line, established in 1112, died with him. John, Grand Master of the Order of Aviz, and Ferdinand's illegitimate brother, decided that Beatriz and John of Castile were not fit, for, not fit to rule. He claimed the throne for himself, kicking off a period of war in Interregnum known as the 1383-1385 Crisis. John of Avis had the advantage that the popular classes of Lisbon, Beja, Porto, Évora, Estremoz, Porto Alegre, and others, Porto Alegre, and others claimed his claim, supported his claim. In 1383, John's side made the first move by murdering the lover of Queen Leon Leonor. The people of Lisbon proclaimed John of Avis rector and defender of the realm, and he became their champion to fight John of Castile. The two Johns marched to war on April 6, 1384, at the Battle of Altuleros. John of Aviz, General Nuno Alvarez Pereira, led his side to victory, though it was not decisive. The Castilians retreated to Lisbon, where they besieged the capital. Things were looking grim for John of Aviz and those who desired him to be king. He gave all military power, power to his general so he could focus on diplomacy. England was in the peak of the Hundred Years' War with France at the time. As Castile was allied with France, John of Avise figured that England would be willing to be allied with him. John of Avise sent a, an embassy to Richard II of England and his uncle John of Gaunt, who agreed to send troops to reinforce the Portuguese army. Meanwhile, Lisbon was struggling under the Castilian siege. People were starving and trapped within the city walls. On July 18th, after months of the siege, the Castilian naval blockade was broken by 34 Portuguese ships under Captain Hui Pereira. Pereira was determined to get the much-needed supplies to Lisbon. He died in the process, and some of the supplies were seized, were seized by the Castilians. This victory was short-lived, and the siege of Lisbon continued. It wasn't easy for the Castilian army either, as they too suffered from food shortages and the bubonic plague. The plague forced John of Castile to raise the siege on September 3rd. He withdrew to Castile. In late 1384 and in the early months of 1835, Nuno Alvarez Pereira and John of Aviz pursued the war but they did not manage to subdue the majority of those Portuguese cities then in favor of the Castilian cause. On Easter, 600 seasoned veterans of the Hundred Years' War arrived from England, including a small number of lawn bowmen, who were particularly good against cavalry charges. On April 6, 1385, John of Aviz organized a meeting of the Corchis in Coimbra, where he was proclaimed the 10th King of Portugal. He nominated Nuno Alvarez Pereira, his commander-in-chief, as constable of Portugal. In May, John of Castile engaged the Portuguese in the Battle of Trancoso, in which the Castilians were defeated. 
In June, he himself led a mass massive Castilian army in an invasion of Portugal. This time, he had an allied contingent of French heavy cavalry with him. In total, about 32,000 men marched toward Lisbon. Only 6,500 gathered, men gathered to defend the, against the Castilians. John of Aviz, now John I of Portugal, met with Nuno Alvarez Pereira in the city of Tomar. And the fate of Portugal's sovereignty rested upon them. They decided that the, that the Castilians could not be allowed to besiege Lisbon again. They knew that if the Castilians reached Lisbon, the capital would fall, and with it, the newly established House of Aviz. Their only option was to intercept the enemy in the vicinity of Leiria. They decided to con confront the Castilians near the village of Aljubahota. On August 14th, David met Goliath. The relatively small Portuguese army came face to face with the Castilian behemoth. But the Portuguese were ready. Around 10 o'clock that morning, they took their position, facing the road on which the enemy would arrive. They organized themselves with cavalry and infantry flanked by archers, including the English longbowmen. On the other side, the army was protected by natural obstacles. On either side, the army was protected by natural obstacles. In this case, creeks and steep slopes. In the rear, reinforcements were at hand, commanded by John I of Portugal himself. In this topographically high position, the Portuguese could observe the enemy's arrival and were protected by a steep slope in their front. The rear of the Portuguese position, which was in fact its front in the final battle, was at the top of the narrow slope, which came up to a small village and was further defended by a complex series of interlocking trenches and caltrops designed to surprise and trap the enemy cavalry. This trenching tactic was developed around this time and it was used extensively by both the English in France and the Portuguese. The Castilians saw that they didn't stand a chance if they marched straight at the Portuguese. John of Castile ordered his men to go around the hill on the side which the Portuguese sat waiting. Scouts told John of Castile to approach from the south side of the hill. Seeing the Castilian army pre preparing to come at them from behind, the Portuguese inverted their stances to face the threat. They depended on the system of ditches, pits, and caltrops, or spikes, to, slowly, sl to slow down the Castilian advance. At six in the afternoon, the battle began. The French heavy cavalry charged at full speed, but they were immediately dispersed by the volley of arrows from the, arrow, from the archers and crossbowmen. With their cavalry defeated, the rest of the hulking Castilian army advanced on the Portuguese, their men lined up so that they seemed to be more, even more numerous than they already are, were. The line quickly broke as the Castilians had to squeeze between the two creeks protected by protecting the Portuguese forces. The Portuguese reorganized themselves. The vanguard split, allowing for rear troops to advance. In order for this to happen, John of Portugal had to order the deaths of their prisoners of war. The English lawn bowmen continued to rain arrows upon the Castilians, who were desperately trying to traverse the hostile battlefield. Finally, the inf infantry of both sides met. Portuguese students that made up the, one of the vanguards, later called the Alados Namorados, or Sweetheart's Wing, fought desperately against the heavy armored knights of Castile. By seven o'clock the sun was setting, and the Castilians were beginning to realize that they could not win. Their royal standard bearer was dead, as was their morale, especially when they th thought that their king had died also. 
and they began to panic and started to flee. The Portuguese pursued them down the hill. While there was enough light to see the enemy, the Portuguese continued to mow down the Castilians. The Battle of Aljubahota was over. The Portuguese had won. As many as 5,000 more Castilians were killed by Portuguese guerrillas as the former tried to make their escape the next day. According to, the Port to Portuguese traditions surrounding the battle, there was a woman called Britos de Almeida, the Padera de Aljubahota, the baker woman of Aljubahota, said to be very tall and strong and to possess six fingers on each hand who by herself killed eight Castilian soldiers as they were hiding in her bakery in the town of Aljubahota after the battle. As the sun rose on the day after the battle, the true devastation was revealed. The bodies of Castilians were so numerous that the creeks surrounding the battlefield were dammed. Feeling sobered by this, John of Portugal allowed the surviving Castilians to return home in safety. Castile was in mourning from that day until Christmas of 1387, two years later. In October 1385, Nuno Alvarez Pereira led a preemptive attack against Merida in, Cast in Castilian territory, defeating an even larger Castilian army than at Aljubahota in the Battle of Valverde, in Valverde de Merida. Scattered border skirmishes with Castilian troops would persist for five years more until the death of John I of Castile in 1390, but posed no real threat to the Portuguese crown. Recognition from Castile would arrive only in 1411 with the signing of the Treaty of Alion. Victory at Aljubahota confirmed John of Aviz as, a, as the uncontested king of Portugal. In 1386, the Treaty of Windsor was signed between Portugal and England, the oldest still active in existence. The following year, John married Philippa of Lancaster. Two of their sons went on to be very important in Portuguese history and will be discussed in the next episode. They were Edward, who became the 11th king of Portugal, and his son Henry, also known as Henry the Navigator. In commemoration of the, of the Battle of Aljubahota, the Portuguese erected the Monastery of St. Mary of the Victory, Portuguese Mosteiro de Santa Maria da Vitoria, one of the best original examples of late Gothic architecture in Portugal. In 1393, a chapel in honor of St. Mary and St. George was erected in the place where the st standard of Don Nuno Alvarez Pereira had been during the confrontation, allowing us to know the precise geographic location of the battle site. In 1958, archaeologist Afonso del Paso organized the first campaign of excavations, revealing the complex defensive system consisting of about 800 pits and dozens of defensive ditches, and revealing one of the best preserved battlefields of the period of the Hundred Years' War. In March 2002, under the initiative of Antonio Champalimud, the Battle of Aljubahota Foundation was created. The Foundation began its activity by recovering the battlefield of Aljubahota. Through a protocol established with the Ministry of Defense in August 2003, the Foundation received authorization to transform the military museum into a modern interpretation center of the Battle of Aljubahota. This interpretation center was inaugurated on October 11, 2008. On December 28, 2010, the Portuguese official journal published the Decret Law Number 18, 2010, which states the legal recognition of the battlefield of Aljubahota with the category of National Monument. 
In regards to the Treaty of Windsor, it established a pact of mutual support between England and Portugal. Indeed, Portugal would use it against its neighbors in 1640 to expel the Spanish Habsburg kings from the, from the country, and again during the Peninsular War. The Anglo-Portuguese alliance would also be used by Britain, in succession from England, in the Second World War, allowing the Allies to establish bases on the Azores during the 1982 and during the 1982 Falklands War. Next time on the history of Brazil, we will finish our look at Portugal with the history of the House of Avis, including the story of Henry the Navigator and the precursors to and the establishment of the Portuguese Empire overseas. This will provide the context for the Portuguese arrival in Brazil in 1500 and the colonization that ensued. Thanks for listening, and this has been the History of Brazil.